Welcome to the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund podcast. This podcast was created by the CBLDF as part of our ongoing education program. My name is Alex Cox, and in this episode, we're presenting a live panel from New York Comic Con 2013. It's hosted by Charles Brownstein, our executive director, and it features an all-star array of graphic novelists who create material for children, including Jennifer and Matt Holm, Colleen A.F. Novel, Matt Phelan, Eric White, Shanna Corey, Larry Martyr, and educator Meryl Jaff. The panel focuses on using graphic novels as a tool to get kids interested in reading and how children's literacy can be benefited by the use of comics as an educational tool. This is a good audio supplement to our publication, Raising a Reader, How Comics and Graphic Novels Can Help Your Kids Love to Read, which was written by, uh, by Meryl Jaff with illustrations by Matt Holm and an introduction by Jennifer Holm. If you want to take a look at that publication, we have copies available via our donation center online, and we always have them at shows. That website is cbldf.org. And if you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at cbldf.org. Some of the quality in these recordings is not so great. It was our first uh, attempt at recording a live program. Uh, we hope you forgive the inconsistencies in volume and sound quality. And uh, without further introduction, here it is. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for coming out to the uh, final Comic Book Legal Defense Fund program. Raising a Reader. This afternoon we are thrilled to be joined by an excellent panel of creators who are at the forefront of making the comics and graphic novels that advance literacy for younger readers and give those of us that are older readers the tools to help introduce a new generation to the joy of reading and to the joy of reading comics. Comics as an art form are a profound tool for advancing all kinds of intelligences. And this is why the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, which is the organization I run, I'm Charles Brownstein, is so instrumental in, um, in, in creating resources like Raising a Reader, which is a publication that was written by Dr. Merrill Chaffee um, to help create a toolkit for parents, teachers, and educators to use to um, create activities that create some excitement between kids and, uh, and, and the people teaching them about using comics and graphic novels. And so you might ask, why is the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, which is traditionally thought of as an organization that protects uh, free speech uh, for people that are transgressing, why are we getting involved in this space? Well, it's because as comics become more and more popular, there are still people that are of the mind that the medium is a low-value medium. There are still people that are of the mind that a comic book, a graphic novel, that's dessert. I'm going to make sure that my kid is reading the real book. And the truth is, that's absolutely your right as a parent. But there's an increasing trend that's growing as comics are becoming more and more popular and powerful here in the United States, where people are attempting to make those choices and decisions for other parents. People are saying, let's pull bone out of my Minnesota town's library because the characters in there are smoking cigars in Volume 4, the Dragon Slayer. Now, if you don't want that in your household, that's absolutely your right as a parent. But nobody has the right to take that opportunity away 
from other parents to have that conversation with their kids, to let their kids grow in the way that they want their intellectual development to grow. And so increasingly, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund is standing up for the rights of parents to choose what's right for their kids without having outsiders make those choices for them. And so it's a great privilege to work with our board member, Jennifer L. Holm, on advancing this program and guiding the program. So I'd like to take the opportunity to give a warm welcome to Jenny Holm. Thank you so much for all of your work in this space. It's awesome to be in New York. We're ex-New Yorkers, my brother Matt and I. <laughs> Baby Mouse was born in New York. Um, but we have some incredible talent here on the stage, so I wanted to go ahead and and start by introducing them. And we'll start, I'll go, I'll go down the row. The lovely young lady on the end with the purple glasses, Colleen Aya Venable. Colleen is the author of the kids' graphic novel series, Guinea Pig, Pet Shop, Private Eye, illustrated by Stephanie Yu, which has been nominated for an Eisner for Best Publication for Kids, and awarded Best Book Recognition from Kirkers, NYPL, Bank Street, and the Junior Library Guild. Her first teen graphic novel, Kiss Number Eight, is in production with First Second, right on, where she also works as their designer. Next in line, we have Matt Phelan. Matt's first graphic novel, The Storm in the Barn, won the 20, 2010 Scott O'Dell Award. I mean, talk about hitting it out of the park. Um, his second graphic novel, Around the World, was nominated for two Eisner Awards. He didn't win, but very much likes the books that did win. His latest graphic novel, Bluffton, is about vaudeville, summertime, and the young Buster Keaton. Next, we have Eric White. Eric White is the author and illustrator of the Frankie Pickle series, a hybrid chapter book graphic novel published by Simon & Schuster. Prior to that, he was an animator for such companies as Walt Disney, Warner Brothers, and the Cartoon Network. He is currently hard at work developing a graphic novel series for his newest creation, a super-powered cupcake named Jiminy Sprinkles. And um, he will actually make his debut in um, an anthology that's going to be coming out from Random House next July. So I've actually got to see it. So it's awesome. Um, Matt Holm is the taller half of the sibling team behind the Eisner and nominated Baby Mouse graphic novels for young readers, which have sold more than 1.8 million copies worldwide. Um, Baby Mouse Queen of the World was the first graphic novel ever to be named an ALA Ask, Ask Notable Children's Book. The Holmes are also the creators of the indie-bound, best-selling graphic novel series, Squish. Eisner winning, not Eisner. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This was from Emerald City Comic Con. <laughs> and then, uh, I haven't updated it. So then, uh, Meryl Jaff, PhD, teaches visual literacy and critical reading at Johns Hopkins University Center for Talented Youth Online Division, is the co-author of Using Content Area Graphic Texts for Learning. Merrill hopes to empower educators and encourage an ongoing dialogue promoting kids' right to read while utilizing the rich educational opportunity graphic novels have to offer. Then we have the lovely Shana Corey. Shana is the author of several acclaimed picture books, as well as an executive editor at Random House Children's Books, where she works on awesome kid books, including fantastically fun series like Junie B. Jones, Squish, and Baby Mouse. And then on the end, a surprise guest is Larry Martyr, the c creator of the hugely popular Bean World series from Dark Horse and the chairman of the board of directors of Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. Excuse me, the president. The boss. <laughs> Um, all right, I just winged it. Um, so 
we're, it's awesome to be here. We're big fans of the CBLDF and kids and, um, and bringing kids comics back into the, the forefront of the world. And so I thought we'd just sort of go through a little history of kids and comics in the industry. And um, because when you think of comics and kids, they seem like they would go together like peanut butter and jelly in a little nice little kid thing. But um, in, in a way, that core readership kind of drifted away for a time and the content drifted with it. I mean, can anybody on the panel talk a little bit about the history of kids in comics and even censorship with kids in comics? Anybody want to dive in? Back in the old, old, old days, and you're talking like in the 30s and the 40s when comic books really started coming out, there were comics for everyone, all ages. It was the thing that kids would read, it was the thing that grown-ups would read, the thing that housewives would we read. Everyone was reading their own different comics. Then you had uh, Dr. Worth and dun-dun-dun-dun. He was the bad guy. He's the bad guy. He, he wrote this book called Seduction of the Innocent, which was talking about how reading comics then led to drugs and crime and juvenile delinquency and the, the destruction of our entire society. So everyone got into a little bit of a panic. Then they, they created what was known as the Comics Code, which actually in its way, by restricting the kinds of content you could have in comics, in, in which you'd have to have the good guys always win, you know, you'd have to have good morals, no drug use, none of that sort of stuff. Uh, it really damped down the level of, of sort of adult content in comics. So comics really became something that was almost only suitable for children. So for decades, that's how comics were, and they were looked at as this kid's medium. Uh, in the 80s then, finally, you had people like um, Frank Miller and uh, Alan Moore. I'm like, the Watchmen guy? Yeah, Alan Moore. <laughs> that little comic. That little, that little book called Watchmen. Um, came in and said, you know what? We're grown-ups. We like comics, too. We want to make comics for grown-ups. And so they broke a lot of barriers. They kind of you know, brushed aside the comics code. And entered in this whole this whole new world of comics that were also cool for adults to read. Problem was, once they started that, all of the kids' content kind of evaporated, and the entire industry moved along with that cohort of people as they aged. And now, what you have in the traditional mainstream comics uh, for the past I don't know 10, 20 years has been all stuff for adults, getting sort of darker and grittier, and seeing how far they can push things. Which, you know, is great for grown-ups reading comics, but it didn't leave a lot of stuff in the kids' space. So it's only in the last, like, five, ten years that you've started to have people making comics specifically for kids again. And so it's been a like cool these, trend. these characters here. Oh, yeah, it's been, it's been cool to, to see it coming back up. And, and also the, the advent from comic book to graphic novel, which made it, I think, even more serious. More serious and more library friendly, maybe, right. you know, easier Classic. to shelve, easier for them to buy. So now we're in 2013. Look at all these kids in the front row. And we're learning about the effects that comics have on literacy. Um, and there was just an article in PW by Heidi McDonald about a study released a few weeks ago from um, the University of Oklahoma that shows that students actually retain knowledge um, presented in a graphic novel format. So I think kids cramming for tests will be happy to hear this. Um, which kind of gets us to a basic, a very basic issue. Comics can turn you into a reader. What do you think some of the skills are you can learn from reading a comic? Because graphic novels pair visual with verbal, you have additional memory channels, and visual is so much, our brains will process visual much faster than it will the verbal. So you have these two process, dual processes going on together, complementing each other. So you have, so 
reading with graphic novels really does help with memory and learning, but it also helps with understanding sequence, beginning, middle, and end, because all the stories are broken down into sequences. And so for someone like me who could never tell a joke, because I can never remember, I would remember the punchline, but somewhere the middle got lost, graphic novels are a great process for me because it really helps me slow down, which gets me to another skill, and that's attention. Graphic novels are excellent tools for attention, kids with attention issues, because again, you have to slow down. And so many of the problems with attention issues in and out of school is that we're racing to get through because we're so excited or whatever it is, and we don't slow down to process. And so in reading graphic novels, we have to slow down if we're going to be able to integrate, at least initially. As you become more skilled, you can pick up speed, but you really do have to slow down to, to recognize some of the details in the art that's complementing the text. Graphic novels is, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm hogging, I'll do this fast. Language issues, <laughs> similes, metaphors, um, there are, they are excellent tools for making sometimes very abstract concepts more concrete. So what I think also is like great about and with, you know, on top of whatever, everything you said was that how like graphic novels can really extend beyond the page like a after the reading experience. Like what are some things you've had like kids, I know you guys do like a lot of school visits probably, like what are some things you've had kids do when you like after a visit or like some, you know, stuff you've done with them in the classroom? So I do spend a lot of time in classrooms um, working with kids, teaching them about comics. And the first thing we talk about is, is how we talk about prose, writing with words. We talk about character and plot, dialogue, setting. And then we talk about comics, and we talk about character, plot, dialogue, setting, and art. And how storytelling is storytelling, but be able to, being able to do it visually, um, it's just adding another layer to the story you're trying to tell, and how the importance of the importance of the gutter, the space between the panels, and how critical it is as a reader as you're connecting the dots. I, I talk about how the um, you know you think of the panel, what happens inside the panel is your sentence, and the panel itself is your punctuation mark, and that you're able to kind of build your paragraphs by building your panels. And so we'll start with you know beginning middle end of beginning middle end of a story with three panels, and then we'll say okay, well what can you do next? What happens next? What happens next? And before you know it, these kids are that when they walked into the room like, I don't know how to write a story, I can't tell a story, I don't have any ideas, are filling reams of paper because they're just, well, I could add one more panel. I, I could add one more panel. And it's, it's really exciting to kind of see that get along. I went to a school, to a school visit, and had a whole presentation planned, and I'd been to the school a few times. And I, they're like, sit down. You don't need to do anything. And what they had done was they made a play of one of my books. Oh, wow. And they just performed it for me, and I was just sitting there. And it was just watching little kids pretending to be hamsters. It was just like, I have made all the right life choices. That's adorable. One of my absolute favorite aspects of comics are onomatopoeias. Yeah. And so we'll do like a whole big lesson on just that. Just like making it in and of itself a piece of the art and being able to um, Take these funny words and illustrate the letters themselves, the words themselves, and or take you know something familiar and by making you know writing down a sound that's completely um, different from that, how funny that can be, or or we'll, we'll throw up like a just out of context a panel 
from uh, an old comic that's, a, that's an onomatopoeia, and, and what does this describe? And the answers that come back are incredible. You could have like 20 different responses for the same, you know, five, six letters. Love that, that's awesome. I, I also just want to say one thing. Yeah. I find that graphic novels empower all kinds of learners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just want to add that. That's not really a learning skill, but right. it, it really, they involve everyone. Mm -hmm. And sometimes prose books do too, but I think the power of the image just brings more meaning and more intrinsic emotional reactions. And then you have the students who are weak language learners or second language learners. And graphic novels, integrating graphic novels with prose and with regular texts in the classroom empowers them to have more footing, more of a voice in and out of the classrooms. And I think that's something that, as an educator, I'm trying to bring more into classrooms. Because I used to be one of those parents who said, don't even think about reading those books. It's OK. We raised her. Yeah. <laughs> we dragged her over to the right side, of course. Right. <laughs> yeah. I saw the light. I saw the light. Can I just add to that that, yeah, exactly what you're saying. I've talked to a lot of teachers who've talked about graphic novels not being only great for reading, but also really great for inspiring writers. Kind of like what Eric was saying, you can always add another panel. But for some kids, that writing notebook is just really hard. And if you don't think of yourself as a good writer, that blank page is overwhelming. But if you say to them, you can write a comment once a week, they'll just go on and on and on. And that through that, they're learning how to tell stories and beginning, middle, and end, and all the things that people up here are talking about. And there's also lots of great websites that will let kids make their own comics that are just wonderful for getting kids up and running with writing. Have you heard from parents and or educators, like for, for the artists, like have you heard um, from su surprising things from audiences? Like have you been surprised by what parents have said to you? Like have you... I know with Baby Mouse, you know, it's pretty pink, right? So um, we kind of thought that our meta audience would be girls, but it's read equally by boys. So that was our own little prejudice against pink, obviously. So I was just wondering if any of you guys have heard from, you know, a new, different audiences that you didn't necessarily expect to hear from. I, I think my surprising thing is I've heard from a lot of adults uh, who's, who've told me that my books were the first comics they've read. And I think it's because, like you're saying, my, my books are kind of standalone. They're all beginning, middle, and end books. There's three of them. They're all just the story starts and ends. And I wrote it as a novel. Like I wrote it. That's you know that was the book that I wrote. And possibly, probably because it you know the Dust Bowl and it's got Adele and Buster Keaton. That some adults say, oh, I'm interested in that. So uh, that's been nice. I've uh, you know uh, when I won the Scott Adele Award, the um, Scott Adele's widow is still alive and she's pushing 90. Oh, wow. And uh, she had never read a comic before in her life oh. until that. <laughs> And she started telling me this at the award ceremony, and I was waiting for her to say, "And I'm never gonna do it." <laughs> like I didn't know where she was going with it. She's like, "She's like, let me tell you, I, you know, I was not for this thing." And I was like, "Oh man, this is gonna be really awkward." Uh, but then it ended up that she then really liked it. And, you know, so. and then read Watchmen. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and she went right to Watchmen, and yeah, it's really. Uh, yeah, she only wears black. That's all she wears now. So um, I, I don't have a copy with me to show you, but my Frankie books are part graphic novel and part chapter book. And the reason for that was because I just wanted to draw the cool parts. I didn't want to have to like draw like Frankie just like sitting in a chair. So, so I didn't set out with any sort of mission. But then this amazing thing happened. Once the books went out there, kids that were really struggling with reading started to, to really enjoy my books because there were so many pictures um, that as they're reading all the fantasy parts are comic book and then all the parts of his reality are chapter book. So they go from comic to chapter book to comic. 
And so the, the books actually have as many words in them as a regular chapter book, but they also have as many comics in them as, as a, a standard comic. And so I, was, I just invented a couple weeks ago, and I, I met this mom and uh, her daughter who had never read a complete book before. She's in fourth grade, and she suffers from a form of dyslexia where she's unable to track sentences in a straight line. And actually, I found out my daughter actually has the same issue. So it's something that we're working with at home. So it's a very, very personal connection for me. Um, and uh, so she, she took home the Frankie Pickle book, and I got an email, or all three of them, and got an email the next day, and she said she read all three books in one night. It's the first time she'd ever done that. So, so it's really touching. And, and you know, so like I said, I never set out to do that, but it's, uh, I'm happy to carry that torch. Yeah, we actually, we had a similar story. We've, again, we were just making stories that we thought were fun, and, you know, we liked comics, and we wanted to make comics for kids now to read. And we got a letter from uh, a teacher in British Columbia she had a student who uh, had, has cerebral palsy, and so she has one of her bigger problems. She had vision troubles, and so she couldn't read a lot of standard books. They were giving her trouble, and so she was going to be forced to read like books that kindergartners were having to read, you know. And so because that's where her reading level was, but she's in fourth grade. She doesn't want to be walking around with the same book that the kindergartners are walking around with. So uh, she got a copy of Baby Mouse. And she thought it was cool that it was, A, something that was geared towards her age group, but because just simply the comics had the big speech bubbles with large enough words in it, she could actually just physically read them. And so it was easy enough for her to read. She was able to read the whole book. And, uh, you know, it really was something that enabled her to read at something that felt like it was talking to her. So that was kind of, kind of a cool thing to, to hear about. And that perfectly segues... So I, th I do think we're like kind of living in like a renaissance right now of children's comics. There's so much great stuff coming out, and I know there's some parents in the room. And I always, I always like to come away from these panels with like recommendations of what to read next. So I thought maybe I'd throw out and we could go through some, some of your favorite stuff that you like to recommend. And we'll kind of do it by age category. So like, what are some good comics for early readers? Anybody have any favorites? Adventures in cartooning yes. is still one of my favorite because it starts out and you're like, oh, this is a book to teach you how to be cartoon, like to how to draw cartoons, but it's actually a great story and I don't want to give away the ending, but I'm gonna give away the ending. So cover your ears if you don't want to spoil it. So the whole time you're following this knight who wants to <laughs> the whole time you're following this knight who like wants to learn how to do comics and is kind of being forced into it by an elf. And at the very end, the elf or the knight finally takes off his helmet. And it's not a he, it's a girl the whole time. It was the princess who was bored at the beginning. Uh, and it was this nice thing where it was just like, oh man, the princess in the beginning is like, I like comics. She was the one having this great adventure the whole time. Aside from recommending all these guys' books, <laughs> uh, I also really like uh, Zeta's a Space Girl. Yeah. He can do something with a very simple pen stroke, but there's, there's, there's so much... It's like humanity or emotion in his drawing. There's so much warmth in it, and also it's so good. I mean, his second uh, Zeta. I thought the first book was really good. The second Zeta book, I think, is outstanding. It's just uh, I read it in just a couple weeks ago. I did a little book exchange with uh, with Ben. I sent him my book, and he sent me his book. And it was one of those things where I read it. And then I stopped and looked at it and kind of shook it. I'm like, how did you do that? <laughs> you know, it's like it's so like on one hand very light. 
Uh, but at the end, you know, it's like, wow, how did he pack that much story into this thing? But it's also, uh, that, that book is like, you, you read that and then you read Prince and the Pauper. And it's such a wonderful introduction to a classic because there are so many parallels and it's such a, it's just, yeah. it's great. Yeah, it's, so, uh, yeah, so then just from, uh, you know, like artist to artist, like you say, like, what other artists like, you know, I look at his work and I say, this guy's, this guy's doing something. And then, oh my gosh, yeah, well, Gene, yeah, he's yeah. like, what does he have that's for younger? Yeah, that's what I took. <sighs> I think his stuff is older, yeah. Older. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's true. All right, so let's, how about some older reads? Older reads? Older but still young. Older but still young. <laughs> Middle school. I am a huge fan of um, Drama and Smile, which yeah. Yeah. most of you guys have read, but they're amazing. They're uh, Raina Telgemeier, who I'm always afraid to say her name. But they're so rich. Like, I, have, I don't think I've ever read a novel that is full of character and voice is these graphic novels are just fabulous and I, I'll be on the subway and I'll see like a fifth grader reading them in front of me and I'm always like they're really good <laughs> they're really into them there are also some wonderful um, non-fiction or historical fiction graphic novels that really bring so many different worlds together like yeah. Jean Yang's yeah. American Born Chinese yeah. and Boxers and Saints then you have the Kogan is it Kogan the Kogan yeah. series, and it's yeah. just this Kogan family that, that there's some weird family member from any point in history, whether it's the American Revolution to the French Revolution, yes. the uh, Lewis and Clark, there's a great graphic novel yes. about Lewis and Clark. Yeah. It, it just, Laika, the first sentient being that went into space, was a dog, and there's a wonderful book, and I love pairing Cried it Cried during Laika. Right, <laughs> and, and you pair it with October Sky, and you yeah. get like these two perspectives of the American versus the Russian race into space. So they're just awesome, awesome books. So we're kind of, we've got about 20 minutes left, so I have two ideas. I thought I'd open the floor to questions, if there, anybody has any questions for all of our panelists. Yes, you can just, or how about the very back with the black um, sweater? Yes, sir. Yeah. So you're, you're foreseeing a comic get in. <laughs> I don't know, I, I like that view of the future. What do you guys think? I, I'll just jump in here. Um, if we look at how, how we're changing a society, you know, when we look at, uh, we started, you know, the very first forms of storytelling were cave paintings. Mm -hmm. And and now we look at the way that we're communicating visually with 
devices and um, uh, computers and so forth. And I, I agree with you that we have to, we can't push everything aside. You know, I, I sit down and I do you know homework with my kids at night, and in second grade they're allowed to use calculators and they don't know their multiplication tables, and and that bothers me. I want them, and I'm and I'm taking it on as a parent with flashcards and, and trying to teach them those skills myself. I can't worry about you know, what the schools are teaching in those cases. But I, I think at the same time, even though you're reading things visually, we are becoming um, uh, an incredibly visual society. And in reading comics, you're still making predictions. You're still using your imagination. Like I talked about thinking about what happens between the panels and connecting the dots in that way. And, um, and for all the kids that do struggle with text, that we're not leaving them behind, that there is an outlet for them to be able to communicate visually. I just also want to add, I used to think like that not so long ago and then I realized that graphic novels have quite extensive vocabulary and they're a wonderful way to learn and to retain vocabulary also because of the way graphic novels are set up there's you have to understand text you have to understand language use because language is so much more succinct in graphic novels that you are actually, whether you're reading or you're writing them as an exercise in class or as a professional, you have to have a quite an outstanding grasp of language and language use to be able to either write or read and decode them. So there, there, there still is that reliance on text, but there is also that pairing of image. And just, just to add, I, I was moving my daughter from college, and we went to Ikea, and all the furniture is disassembled, and each, each piece comes with a manual to assemble. There's not one word on that manual. You have to distinguish between this length screw and that length screw and that length screw and the sides of the wood, which might be black, it might be white, but, and those are, there's a discipline there too in having to distinguish between the nuances of the visual image as well as the visual word. So there are different disciplines. I understand 100% what you're saying, and we'll see, yeah. but I, they do add. Evolution. I like just one, one more little thing. <laughs> I think it's just, you know, comics and, uh, there's all kinds of books. One's not gonna replace the other. You, know, you start out with picture books for kids when you're very young. Uh, you read comics, you read comics as an adult, but there, there still will be novels, and I don't think there's gonna be any kind of replacement. Uh, there's J.K. Rowling to save today if there's anything else. You know? <laughs> yeah. Kids are gonna wanna read Harry Potter from now until forever, and then they'll read Harry Potter and there are no pictures in that, and you know they'll be hooked on reading, so I wouldn't, I'm not too worried about that. Well, everybody, thank you so much for coming. Um, if you'd like a, a Raising the Reader um, handout, they're free. And also, we're going to be at the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund booth after this signing, if you want to come by and say hi and support a good cause. In the 900s. Yes, in the 900s. So everybody have a good con, OK? This podcast was edited and produced by myself, Alex Cox. It was made possible through a donation from the Gaiman Foundation and also from continuing donations from listeners like yourself. You can always donate by visiting cbldf.org and hitting the donate button. We appreciate all of your support, and we appreciate you listening. Thanks again for supporting the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund.